Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. All right, John, we got about one more week, you know? One more week of? Official summer. Official yeah. summer ends, yeah. I think, on the 22nd. Yeah. And so we're, we're coming right up on the end of the official summer. And yeah. I see you're not starting off with football. I mean, you're talking about weather. <laughs> I, I mean, come on. I don't, I I mean, don't, I don't remember any football. I mean, is South, Carolina, football South Carolina is undefeated right now. Yeah, right? Clemson. I mean, one and oh. Yeah, right. Yeah, you guys play a tough game there, man. Hey, yeah, it wins a win, you know. Yeah, well, we got <laughs> a t- we got point. a tough one coming up this week. Well, we got yeah. South Carolina State. I South think. Carolina State. I think you should win that yeah, one. Yeah, we, um, we're gonna need one like that because Georgia put it to, Georgia put it to us. You know, we my kudos to Georgia. Yeah. Clemson, yeah, I mean, our offense just was non-existent. Yeah, I don't. I think you'll work those out, though. You got a lot of athletes on that side, and uh, they'll they'll figure it out. Good grief, they just didn't show up. I mean, Georgia's defense was so was so good yeah, that our our offense looked like they just didn't exist. You know, they just yeah. couldn't get anything going. But and then we had anyway, Cantlay, Cantlay, yeah, right? uh, golf, golf. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Patrick Cantlay, he played million. like a machine. Won fifteen million in the FedEx Cup. Wow. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see him in the Ryder Cup. I mean, gosh, he's got to be like unstoppable. So yeah, I mean, that's got to be like that's got to be like four automatic points. Yeah, on his he team. couldn't miss a putt. I mean, he was amazing. He really was. He was. Two, yeah, two weeks ago, he had the best putting I think in history of strokes gained putting ever since I've been keeping that stat. That's impressive. When he beat Rom, uh, well, it wasn't Rom. Who was he beat? Shambo. Yeah. yeah, a couple weeks ago. So he was a machine. So sports, yeah, cool stuff going on there. <laughs> a lot of fun stuff. That's right. But uh, speaking of fun stuff, we have some good topics to talk about here. Um, you know, and this one, John, is a pretty a pretty common topic we get, and that mm-hmm. is, do you pay off your home? Is paying off your home the right move? Should you pay off your home, or should you take that money and invest in the stock market? Yep. Or even take money out of your house and put it in the stock market? We get those kind of questions related to investments versus paying off the home a lot so we're gonna dig yeah, into that that today. is a common question and uh it's it's interesting you can have different answers it kind of depends on where you are and what you're doing so. absolutely yeah it's it's there's room to disagree there yes there is and uh, then we're going to follow up with a discussion on estate planning article out of uh swab um and it's not just about the money steve there's a lot of other facets to estate planning and really good article kind of lays out the different uh, facets that you want to make sure that you're covered on um, to uh, to prevent you know chaos um, uh, when people when you die I mean everyone's going to pass away and you just need to make sure you're prepared yeah it's a super important topic you know you just it's one of those things you can put off forever and you just can't let that happen you know you have to address it you think about it got to think through the steps got to make sure you at least have all your beneficiaries up to date and things set up to go where you want them to go so that's a great topic you want to stick around for that. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vestra Pro with over 26 years' experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 29 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. Uh, you can also download them to your 
Android or iPhone. Um, also, listen listen to them from the computer. It's an easy way to do it. Also, a lot of tools out on the website. Go check that out. And uh, we have a Facebook page, MoneyMD, that we put a prescription of the week. I think Ryan uh, Borders is up this week, so go check that out. Yeah, that'll be good. You want to listen to Ryan. He's always entertaining. Yes. And, um, and yeah, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have questions, link to us there on our website, MoneyMD.net. Get send us those questions. We'll talk about those right here on the show. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is really interesting. This comes from the Investment Company Institute. And um, Steve, they, they, um, the, the money market cash is tracked out there from a, a macro standpoint. And so from the beginning of last year, uh, before the pandemic, so January the 1st, through May the 27th of last year, so basically the first five months of the year, um, the the money market fund industry grew from 3.6 trillion to 4.8 trillion. So basically, what people were doing more than likely is selling stocks when they were going down. Right. They were yeah. selling low. That's not a good equation. It's not. And yeah. the the other piece of this is from from May of last year through. August of this year, the money market funds went from 4.8 trillion down to 4.5. So some people are taking money and putting it back into the market, but back there's still in. a lot of people sitting in cash. And they're buying high. Yeah, that's right. Not, lot of, that's not a good stat. No, a lot of money sitting in cash. And of course, money markets today are paying absolutely nothing. zero. Yeah. Um, because you know rates have drawn dropped to nothing, and money markets have some expenses in them. But we typically see that we see uh, cash going up for the industry as a whole when the markets sure. are going down. So people are selling low, and they end up buying high. That's just not the way it's supposed to be done. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's hard to believe people sold 1.2 trillion of stocks most likely during the pandemic. You know, right yep. at the beginning of the pandemic last year. Um, when when money markets went up that much, so they missed a huge run up. They really I mean, did. They, they really that was yeah. the time to be buying, buying stocks. Yes. Yeah, back last March. My goodness, what a what an opportunity! Which, oh, by the way, we did. We did. We, <laughs> we did, did rebalance. We did rebalancing, then. and it made a huge difference on the accounts that yeah. were able to take advantage of that. So, good fact of the week, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is is paying off the home the right move, or taking money out of your home mm-hmm. and investing it um, is another way of looking at it or not putting money against the home and putting it in the stock market instead. I mean, we get those type questions all the time, John. I mean, those are, you know, very perplexing, important questions that we get from from clients. And uh, this is based on an article um, from the Augusta Press uh, here very recently, Joe Edge. And, um, you know, in fact, it's an article that came to me this week from a client that was asking a similar question of should he take money, should he take money out of his house, out of his, against his mortgage, back out to invest it in the stock market. And with the market doing well this year, I mean, I see more people having this thought, you know, and of course the numbers, they look great, you know, for keeping a two to three percent mortgage and investing your money at six to maybe 10 percent. Um <clears throat> However, there is the issue of a risk, which clouds this picture a little bit, and people tend to forget about that aspect of it <laughs> yeah. that we need to talk about. So, But before we dive into that, you know, let's take a look at the big picture here. I mean, it's estimated that roughly one-third of homes in the United States are owned free and clear of no mortgage, so about a third. But that figure drops from 35% to 26%. For those that are under 65. So it is older folks that, you know, usually have it paid off a little more than, than younger people. Um, 
But there are many financial literacy training programs that constantly teach people that the key to financial freedom is to own your home free and clear. And we're certainly in that camp, along with Dave Ramsey, um, that, you know, getting debt free, getting your mortgage down um, is is really the key to one of the big keys to financial success and retirement. But an argument can be made for riding these low interest rates for a while and investing that money. Yeah, and surprisingly, when you look at the uh, demographic data, um, <clears throat> younger folks, 19 to 25, are more likely to own their property free and clear, uh, more so than 26 to 44-year-olds. And, and the same data, this is really surprising, shows that the higher education um, level of the homeowner, the less likely they're going to have it paid off. And you go one step further, and the data shows that the higher your income level, the lower the chances are finding a paid-off home. So if you analyze this data, you find that those that are more educated, make more money, and live in more affluent areas do not pay off their homes as a general rule. Uh, whereas if you live in a lower income area or you have lower wages and less education, you're more likely to have your home paid off. So it's um, interesting. Yeah, stats. it really is. I yeah, interesting that there. education and affluence actually influences people not to pay off their home. And I think it's trying to take advantage of that that arbitrage between mm-hmm. interest rates. But um, but yeah, I mean, so while there's a strong philosophical argument for paying off your home. You know, the math usually doesn't look that great with these remarkably low interest rates. I mean, the simple truth is that the majority of Americans will never pay off the home. And financially, the decision to pay off the home really doesn't make a lot of sense when you just look at the numbers alone. Um, you know, if you have a low low interest rate on your mortgage. Um, however, risk is a significant component, component of that discussion that most people overlook when they're addressing this question. So, I mean, if you look at it another way, I mean, do you really want to leverage your home to invest in the stock market in retirement? Um, You know, most people would say no if they really think about that. Um, But if you carry the philosophy of borrowing money to invest in the stock market to the extreme, there are lots of ways to leverage, you know, your investments by taking out loans and theoretically making a great return on your capital. However, every time you leverage your investments... Um, you ramp up the risk. Yep. And so, you know, paying off the home versus investing in the stock market is sort of the same question of do you leverage your home to invest? Um, you know, for instance, we see people that invest in rental properties all the time and they tout a great return on their capital with only having maybe 20% down in their property. But they usually forget that they're leveraged four to one if they have only have 20% down. So if that property they have goes down 20%, they're about to go underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and furthermore, I mean, if the property goes vacant for a while, they're possibly losing up to 5% of their equity in the house every single month with negative cash flow. I mean, it's, that, that, that math really, you it's know, a it's, big risk. it's a possibility, yeah. Yep. So they'd probably never invest in a stock portfolio with those type of risk characteristics. Yeah, and we certainly don't recommend debt for, for cars and credit cards, but uh, debt's not always bad. I mean, if you manage it properly, it's a way to purchase, um, uh, you know, a house and uh, get ahead, um, but you do assume additional risk. I mean, that's a fact. Debt uh, definitely increases the risk, and it's usually a critical component to, to purchasing or starting a business. But as you get close to retirement, lowering that debt um, is one way you can position yourself for a successful retirement um, that you don't have you know, mortgages for decades 
and uh, it also reduces the risk as well. So getting out of debt as you're going into retirement or really any time is not a, not a bad thing, but um, if it's managed properly, you have to understand the risk associated with it. Yeah, that's right. And having so having said all that, I mean, we're certainly not suggesting you go out and, you know, take your last dime and pay off your house immediately or even take money out of your investments to pay off the house anytime soon. Obviously, rates are incredibly low and just about any investment with some stock market exposure should beat the interest you're paying on your mortgage today over time. Um, and as we've said many times on this show, I mean, the key is to have your house paid off by retirement, if at all possible. Um, and that's when having a low and predictable expense, you know, situation is critical, um, not to mention lower stress. So we'd love to see people, you know, take out a 15-year mortgage, then resist the urge to refinance that back out over longer terms, time and again, as, as people often do. Um, so we'd like to see one done, you know, do a 15-year mortgage, stick to it pay that thing off, um, keep that same term. If you're going to refinance, then shoot for a new term that matches the remaining years left on your mortgage. Yeah, and of course, when it comes to uh, the mortgage, there are some benefits. Um, you know, the most obvious one is the tax deduction for mortgage interest. Um, that's that's kind of been wiped away a little bit with the um, standard deduction so high, but for some people, they're still able to use that deduction. And, and when you're young, the access to capital can certainly be an important benefit. Um, you know, if having a mortgage allows you to pay a, a low interest rate, um, and, and get into the rental property, um, something earning maybe, you know, 10%, uh, while paying down the balance over time, then that can help you build wealth over time. Uh, so if you own rental property, then you uh, also get to write off the depreciation <clears throat> expense, uh, interest and, and a lot more. So just gotta be prepared for that risk though. I mean, you know, everybody's clamoring for real estate now and, um, you know, at some point it's not going to be like this. Yeah, that's I not going to last forever. But, um, yeah, there is an opportunity there yep. for some people. So, But as long as you invest your money that you're not putting against your house into something productive that earns a higher rate of return than the interest you're paying on your home, then you're getting ahead. You know, however, if you have a lot of money that's sitting around in low interest rate savings accounts in today's world, um, then paying off your mortgage will make more sense, you know, even in today's super low rates. I mean, a savings account is easily losing like 2% per year compared to your mortgage interest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even, even with those low rates, um, on the mortgage, you're still losing if you have money sitting in savings accounts that could go against your mortgage. So, you know, but always seek some advice from someone who's experienced with rental properties, other type of investments before you're investing. Never, you know, borrow money to the point that it would put you at risk of losing your house if the investment goes sideways. Um, and if you're not likely going to invest the money or you're uncomfortable with the mortgage, then, you know, that's another great reason to pay down the mortgage. And that's certainly better to pay less per month in debt service than to have your money sitting in a savings account. Yeah. However, when you look, you know, at retirement, maintaining a reasonable level of debt on your house is, is okay. Um, if you deploy the rest of your funds in a productive alternative, unfortunately, we see a lot of people who could afford to put extra money, um, toward their retirement or their mortgage, but they end up spending the extra money and they have nothing to show for it. So you have to be honest with yourself, assess whether or not you're disciplined enough to, to really invest that extra money productively. Uh, we see a lot of people that fool themselves and would have been better off sticking to a 15-year mortgage or putting extra you know, against their mortgage instead of letting their lifestyle creep up and uh, it really absorb the extra money. They have nothing to show for it. 
Yeah, that's right. So the bottom line, you know, maintaining a mortgage balance while investing elsewhere is a question of risk and and much as it is about the return, you know. And in general, I mean, we would recommend that you stick to your retirement accounts as a place to take risk before retirement. Keep your, your mortgage and your house out of the aggressive category by paying it down over time. And, you know, as mentioned, I mean, you'll want to you want to get a, a <clears throat> get to a low risk, low anxiety situation when you hit retirement. And being mortgage free really is the sweet spot for having low stress in your golden years. So that's the long term goal. Get it totally paid off by retirement. But meanwhile, you know, if you have investments and certainly, you know, you can continue to pay down your mortgage over time as long as you meet that long-term goal before retirement. Mm -hmm. So good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, we get this question pretty frequently as well as um, where should I invest my uh, emergency fund? Some people have emergency funds, 10,000, 20,000. We see them as high as 50 to 100, sometimes even higher than that. So uh, unfortunately, there's not a, um, a magic answer, um, Steve. I did have a client that sent me a, uh, an article with some interesting options that I thought I would cover real briefly. The, the first option is uh, savings bonds. Uh, I-bonds in today's environment are indexed okay. to inflation. Yep. Um, so uh, the limit um, is only $10,000. So you know, that's one of the downsides and uh, you can't redeem the money within the first 12 months. So savings bonds is an option, but it's not significant. If you have a $50,000 emergency fund, you could put 10 into uh, to I bonds. Um, another one here is CDs. Obviously, they don't pay very much. So that's probably not real lucrative. Uh, we do see online accounts. Um, we see uh, Marcus with uh, Capital One and also American Express yeah. in the 0.4 to 0.5% range. So you're getting something. Getting a little bit. It's more yeah. than zero. And which those is are liquid. You can get the money right back out. Very quick, very quick. So online accounts um, and uh, full disclosure, I have my emergency fund at American Express personal okay. savings. It's 0.4% and it's it's worked real well pretty low, but it's one of the higher ones in the industry. And the uh, another option here, which is interesting, is um, there's about 150 providers that do have a high-yield checking account uh, of at least 3%. But again, here's the caveat. It's capped at $10,000. So okay. one of the things you have to evaluate uh, on these is, you know, are you going to open up another account, have new more passwords, more paper, uh, for an extra $300 a year. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the trade-off for a lot of these different options. There really isn't a magic solution here. That that online account, um, you know, personal savings, or, or Marcus at uh, Capital One is a reasonable option. Yeah, and I think one more option would be a, a short-term bond fund. Um, you know, you can get a mutual fund that just buys very short-term, you know, government and corporate bonds and that's pretty safe. You know, it goes up and down a little bit, but, it, you know, it's yielding more, too. It's yielding, yep. you know, maybe a half percent as well. So that's kind of the options there. But, yeah, not a lot of great choices no, for cash not, these days. Not it, at all. It's hard to get excited about the things you can do with cash. Yeah, <laughs> so, so not much. Unfortunately, I just keep your emergency fund, you know, to kind of the the right level and not let it just build up in there and yep. deploy the rest in your retirement accounts. That's right. There you go. All right. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is estate planning. It's not just about the money. Yeah, this is from uh, Charles Schwab. A really good um, you know, discussion of this. And, you know, Steve, the coronavirus pandemic really put a spotlight on estate planning. More than a quarter of all Americans with a will got one because of COVID-19. So it really spurred people on. 
Um, however, estate planning, um, you know, of which a will is a, a, a very small part, is is more about is more uh, than just giving your assets away. It's also ensuring that your financial and non-financial wishes are executed both during and after your lifetime. So it's not just about the money. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, creating an estate plan can help reduce taxes and ensure that your assets are distributing according to your wishes if after you pass away. But, you know, living wills, trust, and especially powers of attorney can also provide guidance for your heirs should you become mentally or physically incapacitated. So, you know, kind of think of it as a symphony with, you know, the estate planning instruments all playing their own part. Um, so, you know, to protect your assets and your wishes going forward, you need to use all four of the foundational estate planning tools that we're going to talk about here. Yeah, and the first one is, is power of attorney, and, and everyone really needs to consider this, this tool. Uh, you know, if you're not able to handle your affairs, who's going to manage your investments? Who's going to pay your bills? Uh, equally important, who's going to be able to make the healthcare decisions um, should you become an, unable to? So there's really four levels of control with power of attorney. I'll cover these really quickly. A general power of attorney, um, a designated person can perform really any transaction, opening accounts, selling assets, um, you know, and uh, a general power of attorney typically expires when the principal becomes incapacitated, uh, dies or revokes it. So general is very broad, limited is designated to, um, you know, someone who can only do certain things in your in your life. So general is very, very broad. There's another one called durable power of attorney in which the, um, you know, the powers are granted to a specific person. Yeah, that's right. And those will persist even if the per principal, the, the person becomes incapacitated. So durable power of attorney um, can be general or it can be limited in scope, but it, it, it it's durable, you know, so it, it stays even last. after you become incapacitated. And then along with that, there's also a springing durable power of attorney in which the designated person or persons can perform almost any act that the principal can, but only under specific circumstances, only when the principal becomes incapacitated. So those don't come into play until you're declared incapacitated by a doctor or something like that. Yeah, so having these power of attorneys, Steve, this really is a basic foundation of an estate plan. Um, you know, none, none of us expect to become incapacitated, but it's possible. I know we've had some experience with clients here um, having that issue. So you want to make sure you have trusted individuals that can help you manage the financial and medical affairs. And, and even married couples should consider this. Um, you know, you, you want to sit down with a lawyer, obviously, to go through this. Um, you know, if you need to sell a home that's titled jointly and your spouse is incapacitated, uh, you're likely going to need a power of attorney in place to act on your spouse's behalf. And it's difficult to get that when someone's incapacitated, right? I mean, you have to go to, to the courts um, for that mm -hmm. to happen. Exactly. That's right. And when it comes to medical affairs, you know, a spouse can typically make decisions for you without a power <laughs> of attorney in place. But, you know, it may still make sense to designate one. I mean, older couples in particular may want to designate an adult child who can help make tough medical decisions, um, either in conjunction with with somebody else in the family or <clears throat> or maybe, um, you know, just in lieu of them if they become incapacitated. Um, plus, you know, naming multiple power of attorneys can help kind of ease the emotional burden you know, that the sole power of attorney might otherwise have. So having multiple, you know, uh, children perhaps yep. Would, yep. is a help. Yeah, so power of attorney is, is critical. If you don't have one, consider it uh, for your situation. Another one we get asked a lot about is trust, um, Stephen. A revocable living trust 
it allows you, you know, you retain control of your assets during your lifetime, um, as well as you determine how the assets are going to be distributed when you pass. And so what's more, assets placed in a trust bypass, um, they actually bypass probate, right? So you don't have to take those assets through the time-consuming. Sometimes it can be costly, uh, you know, process in probate. So if you have concerns uh, about your beneficiaries also receiving this money, um, uh, you know, then you can create a trust and you can specify how and when the assets are to, to be distributed. So, you know, if you have minors or adult children with uh, credit or spending issues, a trust can provide protection for your assets and your heirs. So you can, it's called controlling from the grave a little bit in mm-hmm. our industry, but you can control the assets once you pass. Yeah, that's right. And if you do create a trust, be sure to designate successor trustees, um, you know, be it an individual, professional, or a combination thereof, who can step in to manage the trust assets if you become incapacitated or after you pass away. Um, And so when it comes to trust, a power of attorney um, designation alone isn't enough because it's limited in scope and it'll end whenever you pass away. So naming a successor trustee ensures a seamless kind of transition of management of your trust assets in the event that you're unable to perform your duties yourself. Yeah. So you have the power of attorney, you have the trust tool, and then another one, which is very powerful is just beneficiaries. And and naming beneficiaries to certain accounts is one of the easiest and most efficient ways to pass assets on to heirs after your death. And and most of the time you can do this online. Sometimes uh, there's a few clicks, maybe some paperwork that you have to do. Um, but you can ensure that your financial assets are passed on per your wishes. And these assets don't go through probate either. So generally speaking, you can put beneficiaries on bank accounts, um, taxable accounts, retirement accounts, life insurance policies. And with, with such designations in place, the assets transfer very, very quickly. So Indeed, you know, beneficiary designations, um, they, they do override your will, uh, which is one reason why you'll want to review them uh, regularly, uh, particularly after a major event. <clears throat> you know, you don't want to leave money to, to the wrong person. And we've seen that in the, in the past. We've, hear, we've read stories about that, you know, going to an ex-spouse or something like that. So make sure you spend some time on your beneficiaries, you know, blended families. You got to have those conversations and sometimes they're difficult, but it's, it, you need to have it on the front end. Yeah, that's right. And then the last uh, instrument in this estate planning symphony here, John, <laughs> is the wills. Okay, um, you know, and and the will. I mean, it's if you don't have a last will and testament, the state decides who gets your assets after you pass. So even if you have beneficiary designations and you have all these things that bypass the probate you're still going to have some things that probably go through probate, which will be your personal effects and your, you know, your car maybe and personal property, um, your furniture. Um, and so a will will take care of those things. Um, it can designate also guardianship for minor children or other dependents for a special needs uh, family member. So creating one is really a must for parents and guardians. So even if you don't have minor children, though, you're going to want to stipulate who's going to receive your personal effects, such as your furniture, your jewelry, you know, collections. Um, And with families, and especially blended families, it can really help avoid a lot of heartache over, you know, over who gets what. So you want to have a will in place. Yeah. So whatever instrument you use or a combination, I mean, you got to put this plan in sooner than later. I mean, we... We, Steve, you and I have been doing this long enough that we, we see um, 
clients and family members passing away suddenly and unexpectedly. And certainly during COVID, there's been a lot of people that have been impacted by this. So if you have questions in your situation, um, come, come sit down with us. We can, uh, we have some, you know, some good folks we work with out in the community in this area, but it's something you need to talk about. Um, don't let it just continue to be pushed down the road because we, we don't know the day and we need to have things set up properly. Yeah, that's right. It's easy to put off estate planning and, um, you know, because you, you think you always have time, but the truth is you need to get it done. Um, and it's just peace of mind knowing that you have it in place. So, you know, get that taken care of so you don't have to uh, worry about that going forward. All right. And that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Yeah. So a general recommendation, and uh, this follows the the Ramsey, um, you know, advice as well, is, is have no more than 10% of your investment balance in one single stock. <clears throat> and see, we, we see sure. people doing that. They've had it in their company stock before. Um, you know, if you've had it in Apple or Tesla or some other stock and it's ballooned, um, that's very risky. And, um, you know, what comes up, you know, sometimes comes down very quickly. So just make sure you're diversified. Uh, if you have some gains in it, you know, feel like you're fortunate because, I mean, people picking individual stocks over time, the, the the data just does not show people can do that consistently. Yeah, that's right. I mean, diversification is the key, you know, and so you just don't want to find yourself getting concentrated in one one even fund or asset class, let alone one stock. Right. So by all means, you know, limit your, your assets to, to no more than 10% in one stock. But we would suggest you even be more diversified yeah. than that and multiple asset classes, even eight to 10 different asset classes and represent hundreds of stocks, uh, even thousands. So, yeah, I mean, you got to be careful here. Don't don't get that euphoria of something really taking off, get the best of you and you hang on to something just because it's done well for you so far. Yeah. Um, Eventually, you got to diversify. Yeah, just show you how quickly uh, the news impacts individual stocks. It was probably two or three years ago, Amazon announced they were buying Whole Foods. Kroger stopped, stock dropped like 25% in one day. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you just you just never know. I mean, there's you know competition, new technologies, new markets. Um, you know, stocks can be impacted significantly with uh, one one headline. So be diversified. That's uh it's what we preach here. We believe in it. Obviously, the the Ramsey organization is a believer in diversification. Also, yeah, people forget. You know what the lessons we learned back about twelve years ago during the Great Financial Crisis. Oh yeah. Um, you know, if there's anything we should have learned through that, and that is, stocks can go bankrupt. They can go to zero. Yep. You know, and lots that. of them did during that. So. Uh, you know, don't get caught in that again, because that will happen again eventually. And um, so, yeah, diversify your assets. That's the key here. All right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Do tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. You can link to us there. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 